Jesus and what he says about himself, who he is. Um, but, but I want to ask you, church, who would you say that Jesus is? If someone came up to you and they asked you, well, well who do you think Jesus is? What would you answer? Someone, just tell me. Son of God. What was that? Savior. What else? Good father. Perfect. Another one. The Messiah. I love it. One more. Shepherd. I love it. Absolutely. All these things and more um, are things that we can use to describe Jesus. And, And I would wager that you learn those things based on what we've read in Scripture. Um... Jesus is, is by far the most significant person in all of history. In fact, our history, at least it used to be, divided up in, in B.C. and A.D., before Christ, and Anno Domini, which is the year of our Lord. Did you know that there are more songs written about Jesus than any other person? There are more books written about Jesus than anyone else. And there's more paintings painted about our Lord than anyone throughout all of history. We have evidence of his existence, of his life, that he lived. We have evidence of his death. And this is the cool thing. We have evidence that he was actually seen after his death. Now, we don't have time to go into that. I get really excited about that, but I'm going to refrain from going down that rabbit hole. But it's amazing um, that Jesus lived. And people call him all sorts of things. A great religious teacher. A really moral man. That he was all of these things. But Jesus was this and he was much more than this he was Emmanuel he is God with us the word become flesh he is the son of God amen now if you were to go on the street and you were to ask people this question who would you say that Jesus is you might encounter a variety of different answers we're going to watch a short clip here of someone who did just that and take a look Oh boy. Oh boy. That's a tough one. Who would I say that Jesus is? I think it's likely he existed as a person. The only human who ever lived a perfect life. No, was he a carpenter? He was a carpenter. Yeah. He was a good guy. Yeah, and he's also like a like a picture of ideality, like a picture of work, a picture of extending care, a picture of love. Um, and as far as that's concerned, I would want to mirror him. I think he was clearly an illuminated man. I think he changed um, the course, in a way, of um, human humanity. Almost like a link between all religions. Um, I think what's remarkable about, about Jesus being one with God is that he, he would associate with us. <laughs> The magic of it isn't important to me, but the fact that he was kind of a real guy who, who existed and had a following and like died for those beliefs and that those causes of like treat others as you would want to be treated, that sort of thing, that's the important thing to me, so. I mean, he was really, definitely tapped into something. I think he was tapped into the core of what a lot of religions and spirituality kind of revolves around. If he didn't die for our sins, I mean, we'll be dying for our sins. So all these fabulous concepts were presented by this person called Jesus. Whether it's real or whether it's just a figment of someone's imagination, that's irrelevant. So there's a lot of different answers that people give for who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? And even within the time of Jesus, they gave different answers. Um, 
You can look on the screen for right now. But in John chapter 3, we had a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus. He was a great teacher, and he himself, he says, Rabbi, acknowledging him as a teacher. He says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. So Nicodemus himself, he says, we acknowledge you as this teacher. You've come from God, and how do they, how do they see that? Well, because no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus was doing signs and wonders and miracles, and so Nicodemus comes before him in the night, and, and he says, you're a good teacher, and you know, you've read John chapter 3 before there. Um, in another section, when Jesus is crossing through Samaria, and he sees the woman at the well, uh, and Jesus tells her her whole life, the whole nine yards, and, uh, and she says this, I love this, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, like the understatement of, and then she changes the conversation. That's another, you know, I'd love to talk about that more, but, but she says, she recognizes Jesus is different. She says, well, I perceive you're a prophet, Nicodemus says, a good teacher sent from God. Lastly, in Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Jesus loved to call himself that, the son of man. Who do people say that I am? And so his disciples said, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah. And others, one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? And then Peter has this awesome moment. And he says, he says you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, while it is important to ask the question of who do you think Jesus is, I think there's an even more important question that we can ask. And that is this. Who did Jesus say that he was? While it's important that we all think, know who Jesus is, and we, we answer that question, why not ask the very person who existed himself? Who did he say he was? Well, he said many things, one of which we'll focus on today. And that is, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, an interesting study that I would encourage you all to do is to go through the book of John. In the Gospel of John, there are traditionally seven I am statements. And these I am statements, this is one of them we'll focus on. Um, I've added an eighth one here. But Jesus, what does he say about himself? Well, he says this. He says, I am the bread of life. In another section, he says this. He says, I am the light of the world. Another section, he says, I am the door or literally the gate for all the sheep. And then he goes on and he says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and life. The one we'll focus on today. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And an eighth one that I think is important that we add, it's worded differently than the rest. Before Abraham was, I am. There's a list there if you want to write it down or take a picture. But... But the significance of this is very important in order to understand these I am statements. Before we look at Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, we have to go back 1,500 years before this was said. So turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. 
Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. When you're there, if you can say amen. Exodus 3, chapter 13, the context of this is God has appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Moses has taken off his sandals because the place that he's at is holy. And God is telling Moses his, uh, his mission and what he wants him to do. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, we pick up where Moses says to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, here's his reveal, I am who I am. Then he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. We know that as translated as best we can is Yahweh, the name of God here. God introduces himself to Moses. He shares his name. I am the one who was, I'm the one who is, and I'm the one who will be. Have you ever lied in bed and just thought about that? That God has no beginning, he has no end, he's, and just, I, I, again, I, I like to torture myself, so I did that this weekend, I just like brain melts. And it, who God is, is so hard to comprehend, and I don't think we really can. We all have a beginning. We're all created beings, and yet God is the self-existent, eternal one. Moses sees uh, the burning bush, and God presents himself. He shares his name. He says, I am Yahweh. And uh, this is the God of their fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And so from this point, fast forward 1,500 years, and we get to Jesus in John chapter 8. Go ahead and turn with me there. We'll be in John chapter 8, verse 56. We fast forward to the section, and just to give you context, because we're not going to read the whole part, Jesus is talking about how he is the light of the world, another one of the I am's. I am the light of the world. And uh, things get heated, and Jesus hasn't even dropped the mic yet. And uh, so things are getting heated. He's talking about this, and they want to kill Jesus uh, for saying some of the things that he's saying. And the Pharisees, um, they answered him, and they said, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? They're very proud of their heritage. And then they go on in verse 39 and they say, Abraham is our father. And that's where we pick up in verse 56. For Abraham rejoiced, this is Jesus speaking now, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Then Jesus says this part, and this is the mic drop, okay? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You see that connection between Exodus chapter 3 and this right here. What is Jesus saying here? He's claiming his deity. He's saying that he is God. And according to Jews, if anyone else had said this, this is blasphemy. If anyone else had, but they couldn't recognize who was standing right before them. Now I want to ask you, church, in this time, what was the punishment for blasphemy? Yes. Stoning. It was death. Have any of you ever been hit by a rock? Like anyone? Like actually, 
Yes, I got a hand. Is it fun? No, no one ever said getting hit by a rock is fun. Uh, uh, rocks are not, you know, they're not snowballs, okay? Um, Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16 says this, And whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation, okay, everyone look around, look to your left, look to your right, there's a lot of people here. The whole congregation, okay? All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who was born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. The Jews understood this. When Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, they understood what he was saying. He was claiming to be God. Now, this is one of the many places we see in Scripture where Jesus claims to be God. He professes his deity. And verse 59 says, then they took up stones to throw at him. And I love this. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now, this happens many times where Jesus' life is, uh, they attempt to kill Jesus, but his time has not yet come. And so, in some way, shape, or form, he just gets away. Um, now, going back to the initial question, who did Jesus say he was? Well, as we just read in this section, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Yahweh, the one who was and is and will be, stands before you now. Jesus claimed to be God. He gave us his origin, that he was not from here, but he is from heaven, God incarnate. Now, of the eight I am phrases that we just looked at, we're just going to focus on one more. and The focus is going to be on Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. So go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 14. We're going to read a little bit in 13, but John chapter 14 is where we'll be for the remainder of our time. John chapter 14 is just, that whole discourse after that is such a beautiful section. I won't say it's my favorite section, because I say that about every single passage I talk about, that this is my favorite verse, and this is my, but this is a good section of scripture. Um, John chapter 14 is a beautiful section because, we, okay, so in this part, we pick up after Jesus has finished washing the feet of the disciples. Judas has already left to go betray him. And Jesus has just announced that he, his time has come and that he will depart from them. Now, uh, as a side note, I didn't, I didn't add this in my sermon, but I, I didn't want to miss it. Um, as we look in John chapter 14 in your Bibles in verse 8, uh, Philip, he says, uh, he says something so profound, so unique, and I resonated with it so much this week. He says, show us the Father and it is enough. Um, Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And, and, and Philip, he says, just show us the Father, and, and that's enough. Now, I want to ask you, have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Or have you ever said that, like, God, just answer this one prayer, and then I'll never ask for anything again? And of course, that's wrong. Or, God, would you, I know you're real, but just... Big fire in the sky or audible voice of shit, you know, something, right? To know that you're here. Like, and I love Philip. Like, just show us the Father. No one in all of the history has seen the Father, and yet, you know, he's expecting Jesus to say, okay, well, right, you know, you know. And I, as I thought about that, I was having dinner with some friends this week, and, and, and we were reminiscing and remembering all the times uh, that God has been faithful to us in our lives. And, and, and I don't know who needs to hear this today, but 
But church, I, w- I want you to remember to count your blessings. Think about Think about it. How many times has God not been faithful here? And here, and in this situation. And do you remember when you didn't know how you were going to make it here, or how God was going to help in this situation, or, or what was going to happen here? And, and yet we live in the present, we live in the now, and how many of us sitting here now are not worried about the tomorrow and worried about this situation or this child or this parent or this friend or this health situation and on and on and on it goes. And, and so I didn't want to miss this opportunity to share with you and to remind us, church, to count your blessings. They're like memorials, remembrance, rocks of remembrance, these Ebenezer's that we remember. God did this. As I look to everyone here, I know everyone here has a story, and, and I, I, I think, remember what, what God has saved you from, where he saved you from. And I don't care if you're one month into the Christian walk or 50 years. Remember what God has done. Because sometimes we do, we do say that. We're just like, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough. Like God has not already done so much for us. But I digress. Okay. Back to the text. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to pick up in chapter 13, verse 36. Um, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. To which Jesus responds and says, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And as we continue to read, we just see the kindness uh, of our Lord and just his, his heart. His time has come. Three years in ministry, and, and, and this is coming up on the moment when he will be betrayed and uh, really the darkest hour in humanity. And yet he says this, let not your hearts be troubled. We don't have time to get into the I am statement of the good shepherd, but man, Jesus is absolutely the good shepherd, the one who cares for our souls. And in times of trouble, he says this, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And this is our blessed hope. I know that whether it is on the last day here on earth when I take my final breath and I'm absent from my body and present with the Lord, or whether he comes back and I'm caught up with him, regardless, I know that this is true, that he's gone, but guess what? He's coming back. And this is a comfort to us. And I love this part that he says, where I, that where I am there, you may be also. Our God is not a, a God that says, okay, well, I'm gonna stay up here and, and then you guys do your thing over there. No, he wants to dwell with us. Moving on, Jesus says in verse 4, he says, And where I go, you know, and the way you know. So the place and the way Jesus says that they know. And then Thomas replies, and I'm going to 
preface this, Thomas gets a bad rap sometimes, doubting Thomas, you know, oh, Thomas. And, you know, in John chapter 20, verse 25, he's like, well, unless I see the, the wounds in Jesus' hands and touch them and the wound on his side and touch it, I won't believe. And, you know, poor Thomas gets such a, the, the worst name of all of them, doubting Thomas. You know, I, I feel like Thomas sometimes. So I can resonate with him uh, a little bit. Um, he says this in verse 5. He just just a logical question. He says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Thomas is kind of one of those see-it-to-believe-it-kind of guys, okay? Um, so Thomas asks this, and then here's where we get to the verse. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, let's look at these three things. Number one, that Jesus is the way. Now, this sounds exclusive, and it very much so is by nature. I'm sure you've heard it said that all religions are basically the same, that all roads kind of lead to heaven. Um, if we're being generous at best, all religions are very superficially similar, but at a fundamental level, they could not be more different. From the outside, they may appear to be similar, but yet they are not, they couldn't be more different. Most religions, yeah, they do teach to be kind to one another, to do good things and good deeds. But when you look down at the core fundamentals of religions, especially with regards to Christianity, it couldn't be more different than everything else. Specifically looking at salvation, most religions teach salvation by what? Does anyone know? Salvation by works. And guess what? Now that doctrine is so easily corrupt into the church at times. My friends, I gotta tell you, it is so easy to be legalistic and to fall into that. It's easy to be clean cut, to follow these certain set of guidelines and rules when salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, amen? And yet the worlds and all these religions, they do teach salvation by works that when you die, your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds or your good karma and your bad karma. And we'll find out at the very end. And um, it's so much different than what Jesus offers us. Others say that if you live a good enough life, you'll be reborn and you'll have another opportunity until this endless cycle, until you've achieved this enlightened state and Jesus says to this, no. He says, I am the way. One way. Matthew 7, 13 says this. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Now, I've, I've heard it said from non-believers and, and Christians alike, well, maybe in God's infinite grace, there will be good-meaning people who are saved even though they believe and worship a different God. And because I love you and because I love the world, I have to tell you that this is wrong. That there is but one way to heaven and that is through Jesus Christ. There is one way to the Father and that is through Jesus in the beginning, we saw a video about people asked, who do you think Jesus is? And people gave their ideas and, and their interpretations. And I asked you, and, and you guys all had great answers. But I know your answers are based on what you've learned in Scripture. Um, 
We have two choices with regards to, to this. Either we will accept what Jesus says about himself and what he says about salvation, or we will make up our own interpretation based on what we think and what we feel. And my friends, this is dangerous. Because one is true and one is false. And it's not so much about what we think, but what is it that our Lord says about himself? And he says this, I am the way. One way. And that's through Jesus. And if it sounds exclusive, it absolutely is. But here's the awesome thing. While it is exclusive, by its very nature, salvation is attained by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It is very inclusive in the way that if you're a sinner, if you're lost, you're destitute, you're going one way, you know what? Repent and turn ways. Jesus offers the free gift of salvation to everyone who would repent. You know the verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the what? The world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's true. Now, I want to do something. You might not like it, but I'm the one preaching, so I got to do it. Okay? I want you to think of someone right now who does not know the Lord. Just one person. If you're feeling bold, think of two. Just one person. Within the area who does not know the Lord. Maybe it's a cousin, brother, sister, son, daughter, spouse, a neighbor, the brewista, the person who bags your groceries. I don't know. You can, does everyone, almost everyone, have that person in their mind? Okay? If you have a person in your mind, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Awesome. Keep your hands up. This is the fun part. I really want to challenge you for something. I want to challenge you to invite them to church next week. Oh, and the hands get it. No, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. I want to challenge you to invite them to church next week. You can put your hands down now. I mean that. If this is true, which I know it is, and I believe it is, and Jesus is the only way, then this should be the most important message that we are sharing with the people of our community. I'm, I'm a big missions guy. I love missions. But I tell people all the time, missions is not just overseas. It's not just in a different country. Missions is right here where you are at. You are all Christ's ambassadors. We have a sign out there. Love that sign. You're now entering the mission field. Well, guess what? That is absolutely true. And if you raise your hand, I want to challenge you. Invite them to church. Here's the hard part. That's the easy part. And you're like, oh, what's he going to tell us? This is the hard part. I want you to invite them to church and make an effort for them to actually come. Don't just like text them and be like, hey, I, hopefully you can come to church this Sunday. No, like, hey, I'll meet you at the door. And if you're very punctual and they're very late, guess who's late next Sunday? Probably you, okay? It, it doesn't matter, right? God is not going to be like, whoops, Liam, you're five minutes late. I guess he's to check you off the list. No, 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 no. If you invite, the, it's, invite them to, to be like, I'll walk with you, to come to a new church, you don't know anyone else, it can be intimidating. And guess what? You know what you can do after? You can invite them to lunch. Hey, why don't you come over to lunch? Hey, let's go to McDonald's. 
Yes, I love McDonald's. Okay. Uh, sometimes. Actually, I like Taco Bell a little more, but I'm just kidding. We're not going to. All right. <laughs> Invite them to lunch. Make them lunch or something. But, but make an effort for them to come. If we really believe that this is true, that Jesus is the only way, and you think of that one person who needs to hear the gospel, ask them to come next Sunday. Ask them to come here. I would love to see the deacons running around like, oh, guys, we don't have any more chairs. That would be awesome. Sorry, deacons. Um, that's, my, that's, my, that's my evangelistic uh, exhortation to all of you. Uh, invite them because Jesus is, not the, is the only way. And guess what? Jesus is also the truth. I know I'm almost done here. We all know that one person who has an answer for everything, who they're always right and they have a reason for everything. And if you don't know who that person is, then it might be you. Um, now, my friends, I, I'm standing here as probably, I might be that person, I know. Um, but my words, I'm, I'm wrong a lot of the time. I'm standing up here at the pulpit, but my sermons are not infallible. God's word is infallible, but I say things that are wrong at times too. My preachings are not infallible, and yet God's word is infallible, 100% true. One of the most fascinating passages in scripture is, is when Jesus is on trial before Pilate, and He's talking to him, and Jesus says that he comes to bear witness to truth. Everyone who is of truth hears his voice. And Pilate responds with this. He says, what is truth? Doesn't stay for the answer, but just walks away. So many people do that. We live in a time when people are searching for truth. What is true? What is false? How can we even know what's true? We hear all this talk about the, the right truth and the wrong truth and real news and fake news and all this stuff. And ultimately, I find that people ask four different questions. Questions of origin, questions of meaning, questions of morality, questions of destiny. How did we get here? What is the purpose of our life? How do we know right from wrong? And what happens after we die? Our young people, I'm passionate, obviously. I love our, our students. I love these uh, young minds because they are so bombarded with so much nonsense. They live in a post-truth world where whatever they think and whatever they feel now becomes reality, and this is false. And I love to preach against that and to equip them with the tools so that they can, they can think as God intended them to. Because Satan, his first attack was not physical, but it was up here. He attacked truth. Did God really say? And he says, you will not surely die. There's so many lies that Satan has told us about ourselves, about others, about all these different things. And we could spend a whole sermon on that. But I'm here to tell you not to focus on that, but to focus on Jesus, who is the truth. If you have questions... They're answered and found in Jesus. He is the very embodiment of truth. Like when Satan speaks, it's just lies because that's his very nature. When Jesus, when my Lord speaks, it is all but truth. It is all truth because that is who he is. He is the way. He is truth. And lastly, he is life. He gives us life here, not just on earth but he gives us eternal life. And on this day is Sanctity of Life Sunday, as we call it here in the U.S. This is not just a U.S. problem, but this is a global issue. 
This is a sin issue. I can't help but think about how life is so devalued around the world. And this is not something new. You read your scriptures. Life has been devalued since the very beginning. Look at Cain and Abel. The world looks at the unborn and they say they are not worthy of life. The world looks at those people who have disabilities and they say they are not worthy of life. The world looks at the elderly and they say they are not worthy of life. Or someone who is sick, they are not worthy of life. And unfortunately, some people look in the mirror and they say, I am not worthy of life. There is a attack by Satan on the way that we perceive life and on and on it goes. So what is the solution to this? What can we as God's people do? I brought this lantern here and we have this in our youth room and this is what we can do. We can shine bright for Jesus because this is what he says in John chapter one, John chapter one, verses one to five. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. He, excuse me, in him was what? Say it again, church. In him was what? Life. life. The way, the truth, and the life. In him was life. And the life was the what? The light of Men, and guess what? When that light shines, look at verse 5. And the light shines and the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. What is the answer to all this? My friends, our only hope for our community, for our nation, and for our world with regards to life is Jesus. Amen? Jesus is the one who brings life. He comes to give life, give us hope. And it's not just life here on earth, but eternal life. We're going to participate in communion in just a bit here. And this is a sacred reminder of the life, death, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, we participate in this ordinance that the Lord left us. He carried the cross on Calvary, bearing the, bearing the sins of all mankind for all time. He died for those who were considered outcast for the socially marginalized, for those who were considered not touchable, um, for thieves, for prostitutes, for liars, even for whitewashed tombs, sometimes like me and you. He came to bring life because he is life. So my friends, as we wrap up here, I want to remind you of this challenge. I really, really want to challenge you. If I just one person to church next week. Because if this is true, then this is the greatest news that we can share with anyone in our community. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the source and the embodiment of all truth. And Jesus is life. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask our elders if they can come up as we prepare for communion. Here at Faith Community Church, we have an open communion. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to participate this with us. Parents, if you have small children, we ask that if they don't know what communion is or what this is about, that you let the elements pass until they understand what this is. 
If there's issues between you and, and another person, I would ask that you make those right with them. If there's sin in your life right now, then we're going to take a moment to pray and, um, so you can make that right before you and the Lord. If there's sin in your life that you can't let go of, um, we ask that you let these elements pass. This is a very sacred and um, important thing that we're doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 says this, Therefore, whoever eats of this bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And that's my exhortation to you to discern right now um, if you will do this in a worthy or an unworthy manner. We're going to take a moment to go ahead and close our eyes, bow our heads, and just take some time to pray and commune with our Lord, and then we'll continue. Lord, we come before you now in just humble reverence, understanding, Lord, that, um, Lord, you are so amazing, so big, so awesome, and, and, Lord, you loved us so much that you came, you lived, you died, you rose from the grave, and as we participate in communion now and we proclaim your death until you're coming again, God, I thank you that we can have the opportunity to do this on this Sunday. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and ask our elders to go ahead and um, distribute the elements now.
elements, they point to our Lord's physical death, his sacrificial, excuse me, his physical incarnation, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, and, and the coming of his kingdom. Scripture tells us this, that uh, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake. Scripture goes on to tell us in verse 25, In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us partake. And I love verse 26, which says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till what? <laughs> till he comes. And rest assured, brothers and sisters, that he is coming again one day. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up, and we're going to go ahead and close off in a song here. If you can go ahead and stand and pass your cups to the inside of the aisles.